Guinea has over 800 languages. It's the most culturally diverse country in the world. Every village has its own language. So in order to trade with one another, they have to have one common language, and that's called Tokpiza. And that's what I was speaking to you this morning. Um, I took four years of French in high school, a little bit of Spanish, speak French. Don't do well with foreign languages. This is the easiest one for all you people who hate foreign languages. It doesn't have tenses. There's no past, present, future. Cows are bull cow. They just get it all in one. You don't know the squirrel word, but it's a bull cow. Cockaroo is a chicken. They, uh, tambuna is grandmother, grandfather, grandchildren. Throw them all in. And if you're an in-law, you're a tambu. All of you. They never say your name. I don't know why, but for some unknown reason, if you're an in-law, you're tambu belonging. But I want to show you, if, uh, on this, somebody can hold this one, this one. And that's not a derogatory remark. 
you're black skin or you're white skin, just like you're male or female. You know, they go, oh, you look like skin, people love black skin, whatever. That's not a derogatory remark, it's just who we are. It's the color of their skin that God gave us. So they always say, mm, if they talk about distance, I always go, so does that black skin distance or white skin distance? Their idea of a 30 minute hike is not mine. But they raise millilands. They raise a lot of greens, just like our color greens, mustard greens, turnip greens. They're all called kumu. They raise peanuts. Of course, they have bananas. And on the coast, they have coconuts, but no pineapples. And cucumbers and some gardens type things. Pretty much that's their diet. People think, oh, rice? They don't, they don't grow rice. So if they eat rice, they have to buy the rice. They don't have any money, they don't buy rice. They usually eat one meal a day. Um, they work at their gardens. If they get to work in their garden, they leave early that morning. They're there all day long because it's a long way. They work out the garden, they bring it back. The women carry beelums. You'll see some beelums over there. You'll see one big one, big one. That's a baby carrying beelum. Also, bananas. I can never tell if they're carrying babies or bananas. I have to get up close. Oh, that's a baby. You know, you can't tell when you're looking through a big one. Babies and bananas look a lot alike if they're being carried. I'm serious. I figure if it's moving, it's probably a baby. But they go to the garden carrying their babies. They work in the garden all day. The men carry the bush knife. They go back, they're carrying the baby and the hundred pounds of bananas. And the men are carrying the bush knife. What's wrong with this picture? <laughs> but if they're Christians, the man will be carrying some of the bananas or the baby. Usually, if the man is doing anything with the children, it's probably a Christian. It changes everything. It changes their whole role of male and female. Because men would never clean anything in the house. I know you're never going, well, I'm moving to Papua New Guinea. The men, there's just so many things they do not do. I'm not really sure what the men do. They burn off the underbrush so they can plant their gardens. They carry a bush knife around. I'm not really sure what else they do. But you'll see some pictures in the village where I came in with flour and sugar. We made bread. I left them. We left them with some things there. But you'll see. You'll see the first church we went to and how simple that is. Um, so anything you see that looks like in the village, that's where we lived for five weeks. Let me tell you what I learned. There were, most of the people in that village are Christians. The Wycliffe has already been there. The Bible's been translated into their language, which is Barkham. So they have the language, the Bible in their language. And they're, they're pretty good Christians, pretty strong Christians. There are some who are not, but uh, they were very loving. One thing about Papua New Guinea, the people in Papua New Guinea, they always have time to talk to you. They're never in a hurry. They'll just sit there. In fact, we found out that basically the custom is, if they come to visit you, you have to tell them it's time to go. Nobody told us that. And we're like, okay, and then people said, no, you just say, okay, you must go now. Which, you know, that's not really a southern thing, but that's what you do. Because it's rude that they get up and leave, so you have to tell them when you're ready for them to leave. Uh, they're very friendly people. Whatever they have, they share with their one talks. That's the people who speak their own language. And if you're Christians, you're all one talk. So they share whatever they have. We left most of what we took in the village. We gave them, I 
gave out all the clothes that I had to my wasp mama, that means your watch mama, the, your wasp papa, your wasp mama. You have a family that watches out for you to make sure you should, crazy white skins can actually live there. We talk about, we think we're so much smarter than they are. I think they could come here and live, but if you let me out in the jungle for one week, I would be one dead woman. There's no doubt. They're very smart. There are many things that they can do, but they aren't driven like we are in America. They have time to sit and talk. And we would sit on our porch and read the top of the Bible in the mornings, and they would come and ask us questions. Um, we didn't get pictures of this because it was night, and I'll tell you about this more in a minute, but we showed that Jesus family over 200, and it's dubbed into many, many languages. Wycliffe has dubbed it into many languages. But you're going to see that. Then you're going to see a nicer-looking house with a big, huge yard, and that's where we live now, Ucarampa, which is SIL's training center, the largest training center that Ucarampa has. I'll tell you more about what we do. But you're going to see a lot of pictures and different things, um, and you'll see some pictures of my students at the school. You'll see pictures of my Sunday school girls making banana bread in my kitchen. A couple of my older girls that I have in Bible study, uh, you'll see a picture of them. So when you see something that looks like a living room and it's interspersed all through, that's where we live now. And when you see the others, that's where we were in the village. So I'm just going to let you see that.
colors taken with colorful coral and fish, and side bitches full of trash. Smiling folks in the market, steal mine, who lift your wallet without you ever knowing it. Strong Christians, leading churches, villagers locked in superstition and access to worship. Beautiful hills and mountains, volcanoes and earthquakes. Men working hard to care for their families. Men with multiple wives who don't work at all. Children dressed neatly for school. Children with one pair of torn pants and a torn shirt. Children who are healthy and able to go to school. Children with ready noses who have never attended school. The purpose of SIL, Summer Institute of Linguistics, of which Dave and I are a part, their purpose is to translate the Bible into as many languages as possible. With over 800 different languages, Papua New Guinea is the most culturally diverse country in the world. There are still more than 250 languages awaiting translations. Dave and I live in Bukuropa, SIL's largest translation center. We are surrounded by a barbed wire fence and have policemen patrolling the center at all times. Villages are around us who have been enemies for decades. This is slowly changing as Papua New Guineans come to Christ. On center, we have surveyors who go out into a village to see how many people speak a certain language, and they see if the village would like to have a translator live among them, and then they report back. One of the walls in the survey room has all of the languages that have been surveyed, the number of people who speak that language, and whether there is a translator scheduled to go to that village. There are more with no translator scheduled to go than there are with ones who do have a translator. Then we have computer techs who keep all of our computers up and running and aid the translators with their work. There are scripture checkers for the scripture passages in the different languages and others who help with that. Since we live on center, someone has to keep our houses in good shape and the roads fixed and the water flowing. We catch rainwater from tanks on our roof. It runs off our roof into tanks beside our house. That's our drinking water and our cooking water. And then we pump water from the river and that's our everything else water. It's called rainwater. The pipes break occasionally, especially after earthquakes. We've had three large ones since, just since we've been there, and they have to be repaired. We get our electricity from Papua New Guinea's Yonkey Lake, and it's sporadic at best. So we have two large generators to keep electricity flowing, and that requires upkeep. Also, our roads also have to be kept up. All of that is a part of what my husband Dave does. Since we do have families who live there and translators who come back into that village, we have to have schools. We have a primary school that's K through 6 and a secondary school that is 7 through 12, and that's where I work. We have one store, one P&G market for our food. Our store is open Monday through Friday, 9 to 4. Our market is 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We have no clothing stores, no places to eat, no TV channels, and no Walmart. <laughs> so if you ever want to go to some place where there is no Walmart, come visit us. What's it like living in Corumba? Well, personally, I love it. We 
don't have a car, so we walk everywhere to work, to church, to the store, to the post office, to visit others. It's pretty quiet here, except for the birds, the dogs, and the lizards who wear combat boots when they walk around your house at night. The Papua New Guinea children walking past our house each day go to school and laughing and playing together. We can hear our neighbor's cow mooing some mornings. And then our security service is called Guard Dog. And they are right outside our window walking talkies, which I've never understood that. The days will come in as well. Nobody will break in if they're standing in our backyard. Uh, they're pretty loud. Uh, we can, we just enjoy being a part of um, a group of people whose purpose is all the same. All their yards are full of beautiful flowers and shrubs. Poinsettias grow wild there. They plant the work in our backyard. It bloomed immediately. We all get excited when we hear of a translation that has been completed. It takes 18 to 20 years. If you go into a village whose language has never been written down, you have to listen, you have to figure out how to write it, then you have to teach them how to read, and then you slowly begin to go through the Bible with them, saying a passage over and over to be sure that it's completely understood to them. That takes a long time. Usually when a village completes a translation, the people will pre-order Bibles, they pay for them, and normally the first batch is completely sold out before they ever arrive in the village. <clears throat> On July the 7th, the Barai Bible will be translated. Dave is getting to go there. He go by helicopter in the middle of nowhere. Uh, all of the, the Bibles that have been originally printed in that language have already sold out. And so that day will be the dedication for that translation. Every day at the high school, we have about nine different nationalities of children who go to our schools. We pray for whatever languages are being translated at that time. We play a different national anthem every day, of the national anthems of the different countries that are represented in our school. We thank God for all of the work that's being done there. And then we pray that God will burden the hearts of more people to come to Papua New Guinea, or at least to help to support the work. The wonderful thing that we have found about Papua New Guineans is that they seem very content with whatever they have. That's not all of them, of course. Some of them are what they call a cargo cult. That would describe most of America. That means you want more stuff. So guess what, people? Our country is a cargo cult. You think? That's what they call a cargo cult there. When white people came in for the first time, they had a lot of cargo. And so the Papua New Guineans felt, first of all, they believed that the white people were their ancestors returned from the dead. There are still people who believe that. Our surveyors just got back from a trip. There's only one female surveyor and two male surveyors. And so they're very protective of her. She's a single girl. In the morning that they were getting ready to leave, one of the Papua New Guinea men came to the house and wanted Janelle to come over to his house. He had something he wanted to give her. And John thought, no, I don't think so. But he didn't want to insult him. So he said, oh, I'll come to your house and get it. He went, no, no, I want, I want the white Mary to come. Mary is the word for women. And Mon is the name for man. And Piccaninny is the name for all the children. So he said, no, you like them. White, white Mary, come on. Come on, house belonging. John said, no, no, no. She's resting. I'll go to your house. So he wasn't happy about that, but he did. He took John to his house. And when he got there, he asked him if he was in some name. John, no. And then he wanted to know if Janelle was, and he said a name. And then John realized, and he said, did your wife die? 
scripture, she said, did your wife die? And he said, yes, she died in childbirth. He thought that Janelle was his wife returned from the dead. And John said, that's not your wife, but can I tell you about somebody who did return from the dead? So, to make a long story short, in the next hour, John had led this man to the Lord. And it's just a God thing to brought it all together. Those kind of things happen all the time. And it's so Holy Spirit. <laughs> you just see the Holy Spirit there. They have so little. They patch and repatch their clothes. Children younger than three in the village usually don't have any clothes on at all. The cutest thing I saw was one Sunday, a little boy in socks and shoes. That was it. <laughs> I wanted to take a picture, but you're not supposed to take a picture of naked children, but it was so funny. An hour later, it was shoes, and then after that, it was back to the normal. But he was so proud of those socks and shoes. The kids had no toys. You saw that one Garfield? That is the only toy I ever saw in the village. Now, I have no clue how the little boy got a stuck Garfield, but there were no other toys. They played with rocks and sticks and leaves, and they run around and never fall down and poke their eye out with a stick. Uh, you know how we always tell our kids, don't come with that stick, you'll poke your eye out. Well, nobody told the Papua New Guineans that, so they don't poke their eyes out. There are no adults. The only way you can tell who's kin to somebody if a two-year-old fall, two falls down, whichever four-year-old picks him up, that's his brother. They just take care of one another. Usually eat one meal a day. They do not have sweet pie. That's their word for dessert. They don't have anything sweet there. So anytime you go in and you make something that's sweet, they really like that. They wash their clothes in the creek, the river. They get their water from there. They walk down with uh, empty Coke bottles in every container you can imagine. And that's their drinking water. And even little children will be carrying little bealums with uh, with water bottles in them. And that's where everything is done, down in that water. That's their drinking water. That's their washing water, washing their clothes water. And they always have time to listen. They can always sit on our front porch, read the talk to us in Bible out loud, and many would come over and sit with us and ask us questions about whatever we were reading. When we showed the Jesus film and talked to and some of them ran home during the crucifixion film because they thought it was real. And we had to go get them and tell them Jesus was alright. And they need to come back and see the rest of the story. But they had never seen a movie before and it was very real. The children would go up and put their hands on the giant thing we had hanging up there. There were over 200 of them that watched that film just from our village. The next day we had a chance to sit on our porch and answer some more questions. We'll spend eternity in heaven with many of those people from Wasab, and we won't need a translator when we're there. We are members of Wycliffe Bible Translators, and Wycliffe has not swerved in its commitment to Orthodox theology. We love the Lord, and we're determined to serve Him faithfully. Accurate translation of the Bible is difficult, but supremely important. We've been called to give people groups a version of God's eternal Word that expresses the original meaning accurately, not a watered-down version that avoids difficult conversations. Many people in Papua New Guinea and the world are still waiting to hear the good news about Jesus. They're waiting for Scripture in the language they understand. And they deserve to hear it accurately worded as clearly as possible so that they have the best chance to come to know Jesus, the Son of God, and submit to Him as Lord. Bible translation is essential to the Great Commission, and it is the responsibility of the entire church. Tassal, supposedly no belief on him. Also born by the Askerman Wong Now, supposedly no harm and talk on him. 
was the one by the Olivonia. Now suppose you know that one pellet you have to talk on all. Also one by Oli Haber. Now suppose Oli no Sal Romani go along out to talk. Also one by Oli Alton. Didn't make much sense to you, did it? Well, neither does English to them. Think it would make more sense if I read it to you. How can they call on the one in whom they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? And we could add, and how can they believe if they do not understand? To tell you that one missionary went to a village, there was an elderly couple and some teenagers sitting on the porch, and the missionary said, Do you know about new life? You know anything about new life? And the man said, There's no such thing as new life, there's only suffering and pain. And the missionary began to share about Jesus in the man's heart language. And then he asked, how can we have eternal life? And one of the teenagers said, I'm not sure, but I think it's through this Jesus. After hearing the gospel, the couple and several teenagers prayed to receive Christ. One of the teens said, I've had this thing in my heart for a long time. You told me today the answer I was looking for. Now that thing in his heart was the Holy Spirit. However, there was no way for that young man to know what to do unless someone came and shared the truth in a language he understood. How many others around the world are waiting? The saddest thing in Ukraine right now is missionaries who have had to go home because their support dwindled down below a certain percent. Luca won't let you stay on the field if your support gets below a certain level. Other churches have stopped supporting them. And I'm afraid that's an indictment on the American church. It's so very sad when missionaries who have given their all, one of them had been on the field for 17 years, and she had to go home because her support had gotten down below a certain level. That's sad. But I ask of you today, and I want you to know, because my daughter goes to church here, that we pray for you daily. They do not both. We pray for your church. We pray that God's Word will be preached and taught and obeyed. And as you heard Paul saying, the things that you're doing gospel needs feet, and it sure is mine. And the things you're doing here is what you're supposed to be doing. And whatever else God lays on your heart, I'm not the Holy Spirit. And I'm, so I'm not the one to tell you what God's laying on your heart. But it is to minister to people here. And it's also to minister to those in other places. David and I are very, very grateful for the opportunity to serve in the Corona. I love teaching there. It's kind of like teacher heaven, if you're a teacher. You can ask me what that means. I put that annual for my school. I'm sorry, it shows my age. Yearbook. What's the name? Yearbook is over there on the table. You can see what my school's yearbook is. It's a delightful place to be. No, we're not suffering. We live in a nice house. You saw that. No, we don't have any television, so that's suffering to you. Yeah. We don't have any movies. Like I said, we have one store. It's not about what well, brand of peanut butter you want. It's do they have peanut butter? But if that's the most suffering we have, is oh, you don't have eggs or they don't have bread or whatever. Uh, we're fine. We love it. We go to Topkiss and praise and worship at 8.30 on Sunday mornings where, just like you did, but it's all Topkiss and led by Papua New Guineans. And then they leaves the English Sunday school and I go to Topkiss and Sunday school and work with the fourth grade up. And those little girls are very kind about my Topkiss. It's very obvious. 
completely again here. It's very obvious when people come to know the Lord there because their lifestyle changes. There's not a lot of civil rules like we have here. If a man wants to take a second wife or a third wife, he does. He usually neglects whichever children, whichever wife he's decided to move on. So everything changes. People don't take but one wife. There's a wedding invitation back there. Dave and I were able to go to a Papua New Guinea Christian marriage ceremony. We were very impressed. The pastor, first of all, he shared the gospel, and then he said, Mary, Mary, here you go to the click thing. That means marriage is no little thing. But one pill of mine, one pill of Mary, and we'll get to time. And to you that die beneath, in other words, marriage, one man, one woman, until one of you dies, finish. I don't know how you die unfinished, but... You know, you said, Papa Blumby, any guy, ooh, any guy finished? Hey, I'm finished. I don't know. But any guy finished means to one of you guys, finish. You're gone. Uh, so it was it was him saying, this is what God says. When they come to the Lord and they read the Bible in their church, and we have training centers that the Papa New Guineans are trained to go back and teach the Old Testament, the New Testament. They come to our training center there. They learn how to go back and lead their congregations. Because that's who they, they don't need us leading their churches. They need Papua New Guineans leading their countries that come their churches. And that's what we do. They are a revenge culture. If you do something to me, I do something worse to you. It's a never-ending thing. When someone in that, especially the headman, the headman in the village becomes a Christian and there's no retaliation, it gets everyone's attention. About a year ago, a rascal is a person in Papua New Guinea who will not only rob you, but will kill you. A steel mine, this person will lift your wallet, but he won't hurt you. There were a band of rascals that were breaking into houses and hurting people, and the Papua New Guinea pastor led the head rascal to the Lord, who led the other head rascal to the Lord, who led the whole group to the Lord. We haven't had any break-ins in a long time. A couple of weeks ago, Dave and four other white skins went out to the head rascal's house. And for four hours, they had Bible study on John 4. And they sang and they prayed. And when they got ready to go home at 10.30 that night, the head rascal said, Oh, everyone will hear this. Five to the white skin and go along. House belong. Former rascal. Now I have Bible study. They go every Sunday night. And this past week, Apparently he came to our house, Dave said. His name is Clarence. That's a strange fucking name, but whatever. That is what God is doing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. People's lives are changed. You know the Holy Spirit's there. I have to say in the last year, I have seen it up close and personal. It's so exciting to be a part of that. In teaching at the school, I have a Papa New Guinea Bible study of ninth and tenth grade girls who live on center, but they don't go to our school, who come to my house. They didn't have any composition books, so when I was teaching them, they were writing on their arms. I'm going back with a whole suitcase full of composition books for them. But they just want to learn. And when you tell them something, when you say, God says forgive, they're reading that in church one Sunday. And one of the men went, what, what? That was the passage where Jesus said, 70 times 7, you forgive? And he said, what? who said that? Jesus said that. Read it again. Mm. We have to forgive. In other words, it's in the Bible. Jesus said it. Well, we got to do it. They don't argue. Isn't that great? Pray for them. That people, just as Paul said this morning, we need to pray for America.
because when people come to the Lord there, their whole lives change, and it's amazing. So, does anybody have any questions? Are you all awake? I'm used to people say that. Remember, I'm a school teacher.
a wonderful time to showcase what God has done with that group. So, thank you. That's good stuff. I saw the hang gliding and I was like, I'm going to go to Papua New Guinea. And I saw the spider and thought, come on. Um, you know, we talk about no-brainers a lot at the gathering. Assuming it's a no-brainer that the gathering probably should be a part of what's going on in Papua New Guinea. What do you think? Yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer. So here's what we're going to do to start with, okay? Money's the easy part. Um, you guys give every week, and we pray that God blesses you, and we'll take some of money, and we're going to support what's going on down there. That's easy. How about you stand up with me? That's what we're going to do. Instead of just praying one prayer, I'm going to ask you, just going to grab hands where you are, maybe in groups of three, four, five, and I'm going to ask you to pray. Just in groups for Dave, for Judy, while they minister there in Papua New Guinea. Uh, you heard the name Clarence. Right, right now, some of you are not even hearing anything I'm saying. You're like, when he said pray, he I'll leave that up to you. Um, but, you know, getting in circles, I don't mean for you to get in circles and, like, play a game. I mean, I really want you to pray. If you're going to pray something, that's totally your call. Um, but I just want, let's do this together, okay? Um, you've heard Clarence's name. Um, we know that, that there's 10 girls that want to pass the test. You've heard a number of requests today. And here's what I want you to understand, too, why you're praying for them. We are committed at the gathering. Some of the things that we value, one, we value the uncontainable growth of the kingdom of God. When we have missionaries come and share, now I get it, we're all supposed to be missionaries, but when missionaries come, these are like honored guests. These are people who have come off the front lines. They have, literally, they have, and if you talk to Judy or today or any other missionary, and you said, have you sacrificed to do what you're doing? You know what they would say? I thought I was, but no. I would sacrifice to stop doing what I'm doing. And so they're a part of the uncontainable growth of God's kingdom. And what I love about what they do with Wycliffe is that our number one value, our number one core value is biblical truth. We don't believe that the kingdom of God is going to grow because I'm a great preacher or because you're a great listening church or whatever. We believe it grows because people hear truth from the Bible and they wrestle with it. Sometimes they like it. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they, they stay. Sometimes they leave. But at the end of the day, they come back to biblical truth. And that's what they're doing. Okay, so I want you to pray for them as well. For the translations. And I've made you hold hands long enough that it's gotten awkward. So... Go ahead and take a few minutes and you guys just take some time and pray and I'll close this out. Just